0: We'll hear argument this afternoon in case 078521, Harbison versus Bell. Ms. Chavez?
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, this case is about a logical reading of the statute's plain language. And section 3599A2, that's printed on page one of the blue brief, provides that when a state death row inmate seeks 2254 relief, he shall be represented by counsel, he shall be appointed counsel by the Federal Court. And that representation is governed by subsection E. Subsection E, that is on page 2A of our blue brief, defines the scope of counsel's representation and also divides that representation um, by two clauses that begin with the word shall. This case is controlled by the second shale clause which appears about four lines up from the bottom of subsection E. And that clause says that counsel shall also represent the defendant in proceedings for executive or other clemency as may be available to him. And we know that this means State clemency proceedings because of the words available and the words or other. For a 2254 petitioner or defendant like Mr. Harbison, the only type of clemency that is available to him is state clemency. And in order to give effect to the words or other that were used by Congress, um, we know that that must refer to state clemency because the only type of clemency that the Federal Government provides is executive clemency. Now, it, n- not only is the interpretation of this statute controlled by the plain language, but this interpretation makes sense, because, and it makes sense that Congress would provide for continuous representation for capital defendants in that it fills a need, a gap in representation, it's efficient, and it also helps to improve the reliability of the death penalty as it's administered in this country.
0: Your interpretation would make all of the uh, – provisions of subsection E uh, applicable in state proceedings so long as there's been a 2254 petition filed.
1: No, Your Honor. And if I may, I would like to discuss um, the structure of subsection E. And I believe your question would go to the very first shale clause, which begins at line 3 of subsection E. Hmm. And that would, um, in, in, in that council that is appointed under A2 shall represent the defendant in subsequent stages of judicial proceedings. And for the A2 lawyer, the lawyer appointed under subsection A2, that stage of proceeding that the representation begins with um, is described in E as all available post-conviction process. And then it goes on um, for the remainder of the statute, together with the applications for I'm
0: sorry, where, where are you reading the first part uh, available post-conviction process?
1: Right. It's, uh, it begins at the end, which is eight lines down, or, or about seven lines up, right in the middle of subsection E.
0: Well, that doesn't modify what comes before it, does it? it new trial, uh, appeals. In other words, if after the end of the habeas proceeding, things start all over, then presumably the appointed counsel represents the, the defendant throughout all those new proceedings?
1: No, Your Honor. Um, uh, with respect to the habeas attorney, the representation would begin with the all-available post-conviction process. If that attorney... Did obtain relief for the defendant, or the federal court granted relief for the capital defendant, and that case were to return to state court, um, then of course um, we're not talking about continued representation of the federal habeas counsel because. Why not? Well, because, Your Honor. That would
2: be a subsequent uh, subsequent stage of available judicial proceedings, is retrial in in state courts.
1: Your Honor, the retrial and the (coughs) trial proceedings that's referred to in subsection E, um, those are duties of counsel appointed under A-1 of the statute, which is on page 1A, which would be trial counsel for those defendants charged with a federal capital crime. We would not, a habeas lawyer would not... um, participate in a retrial because — for a few reasons. The first reason is because of the statute and the structure of the statute, which sets out the ordinary course of the capital case, so that there's nothing subsequent, no duties listed here that are sub- a subsequent stage for habeas counsel. I don't see okay. how that's possibly
3: Off- a plain reading of the statutory language. You started out by saying you're relying on the plain meaning of the statutory language.
1: Yes, Your Honor. How do
3: you get that out of the statutory language of E?
1: Um, it's in context with the whole of the statute with respect we look at a1 and a2 for that context for subsection e so subsection so now
3: you're out of the plain language of e and you're looking at the context of the whole statute
1: your honor i would submit that looking at the context of the whole statute um is in accordance with also looking at the plain language used by Congress, and, and we do look at, at the statute as a whole and, um, in order to inform our definition. What's
3: your answer to the plain language of E? That was your prime. That was the argument you started out with. That this fell under the plain language of E. Yes. How do you explain under the plain language of E why you how you avoid the result that once habeas counsel is appointed in federal court, the counsel has to appear in all of these other proceedings.
1: Yes. Trial
3: AND State Court, etc.
1: In all subsequent stages of judicial proceedings is exactly what subsection E states.
4: But you are including then suppose the the result of the federal habeas is that the state relief is granted unless the state retries the defendant in X number of days. On your reading, I think that the, uh, the appointed counsel and the federal habeas would be responsible for representation in all available post-conviction process, and that would be an available post-conviction process.
1: Uh, respectfully, Your Honor, the State retrial would be an entirely new case that would not fall with under all available post-conviction
4: well, process. what would, then tell me what would fall under all available post-conviction process in, in addition to uh, clemency and competency proceedings. Um, Your Honor, all available
1: post-conviction process, I submit, would be defined by the 2254 or 2255 proceeding. Now, together with appropriate applications for stays um, and appropriate motions and procedures, now that is a part of this first clause in subsection E that under appropriate circumstances may permit the federally appointed lawyer to return to state court if deemed appropriate by the federal court. If the federal court found that an issue in the federal habeas case um, <laughs> needed to be exhausted in order to aid that judge's determination of the habeas petition, then it would be appropriate for the Federal judge to say, Counsel, you know, please return to State Court and exhaust this issue. Well, but However, he couldn't
5: find it's inappropriate, could you know, if you're, again, talking about the plain language of the statute, I don't see there's much room for the District Judge to say, well, now, I'm not going to uh, say that you have to participate in further State post-conviction proceedings. This is an unexhausted claim. I, it seems to me, under your reading of the statute, the appointed counsel, say, in an unexhausted claim instance, uh, would have to, under the statute, uh, represent the defendant in further state collateral post conviction proceedings.
1: Well, Your Honor. Um Again, the key here is that Congress used the word appropriate, and that's an easy legal standard for the Federal Judge to determine. Um, there, it, the statute does not say um, state post-conviction process or a state post-conviction um, case. It, it, it indicates appropriate motion or procedure. So that would be for the Federal I'm Judge sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm
0: missing something here because the statute does say all available post-conviction process.
1: Yes, Your Honor. And, and I would submit that that is a reference to, if we look at A2, <coughs> excuse me, um, where it says post-, the very first line, post-conviction proceeding under 2254 and 55. So that describes all available post-conviction process, describes the 2254 or 2255 proceeding. So you're
0: just saying a new trial because you succeed on habeas is not post-conviction process.
1: No, Your Honor, not no. just by a plain um, definition Is it, of it
0: Well, then if you look up earlier in the statute, it says shall represent the defendant throughout every subsequent stage of available judicial proceedings. Yes. Why, does, why doesn't it fall under that?
1: Yes. Um, well, that's the key subsequent stage, and, and a retrial would not be a subsequent stage. That would be an entirely new case back in the state court. And th- there's also a second reason why federal habeas counsel would not represent the defendant in any retrial or resentencing. And that would. Why, why would it not
3: be a subsequent stage of available judicial proceedings?
1: I'm sorry, Your Honour.
3: Why is it not a subsequent stage of available judicial proceedings?
1: Well. UNDER THE the STRUCTURE OF THE STATUTE, um, THERE'S NOTHING SUBSEQUENT WITHOUT USING THE
3: WORD STRUCTURE OF THE STATUTE, BECAUSE THERE I THINK YOU GET INTO LOTS OF TROUBLE. Mm -hmm. AND YOU STARTED OUT BY SAYING THE PLAIN LANGUAGE OF E. AND I'M STILL STRUGGLING TO UNDERSTAND WHAT YOU'RE DOING WITH THE PLAIN LANGUAGE OF E.
1: Okay, well, there is another reason why federal habeas counsel would not do a state retrial. And, and that's because under A2, the, the clause or the part of the statute that does provide for the appointment of counsel, um, if there is already counsel available, then that appointment clause would not be triggered. If we look at A2, which is on page 1A, um, the trigger for the appointment of counsel is um, that we have an indigent defendant. It says um, a defendant who is, this is four lines down, a defendant who is or becomes financially unable to obtain adequate representation shall be appointed a lawyer. In a retrial, the States must provide trial counsel. Oh, no, 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 that that doesn't doesn't work.
0: The language you just quoted is simply to say when you get somebody appointed. You're financially unable, so you get somebody appointed. Then you go back and say that person shall represent you through every subsequent stage. It doesn't say that, oh, if you suddenly get somebody else appointed, you know, then you can, then he doesn't have that obligation.
1: Your Honour, I would submit that, that these circumstances that trigger the appointment do carry through um, the appointment process, in that even if you look at the language used by Congress, it says any defendant who is or becomes financially unable. So, well, Congress what, if the is is,
3: what if the remand is for state post-conviction review, and there is no attorney available under state law for state post-conviction review?
1: Yes, Your Honour. Then we would be looking again at the first clause of subsection E. Um, and we would be looking at the language used by Congress, any appropriate motions and procedures. And, again, appropriateness is a easy legal standard applied by the courts. The federal judge overseeing the case could determine whether um, whether re- returning for that state post-conviction process is appropriate, it would be just like um, a Federal judge determining that in order to aid its decision-making process, um, it needs to certify a question back to the State
2: Excuse Court. Excuse me, I'm, I've lost you. Where, where is the appropriate? I don't see any appropriate.
1: Uh, Your Honor, appropriate. It says I represent
2: the defendant throughout every, subse- every subsequent stage of available Judicial proceedings.
1: Yes, and then it describes those stages. Yeah, right. And then we are at uh, four lines up from the bottom. Right. I'm sorry, five lines up from the well, bottom. Well,
2: this is and all.
1: And other appropriate right. motions. Other
2: appropriate, but as far as what's clevered by the first clause is concerned, appropriate doesn't apply to that. Your Honor. Represent throughout every subsequent stage of available proceedings, including pretrial, trial sentencing, motions for new trial, appeals, applications for writ of certiorari. There's no appropriate with any of that.
1: Yes. Well, Your Honor, that. It shall also case.
2: represent and uh, 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 other appropriate motions and procedures, but that, that doesn't cover the earlier stuff.
1: Your Honor, if we were looking at the possibility of exhausting a a claim in State court, then we wouldn't be — none of this first part of of E would apply. That wouldn't be a pretrial proceeding. That wouldn't be a trial. That wouldn't be a a sentencing. What that would come under would be after and all available post-conviction process that would be described as other appropriate motions and procedures. So you,
5: you, you'd you uh, interpret all available post-conviction process as meaning federal?
1: The habeas proceeding, yes, Your Honor.
0: Well, then why don't we interpret the clemency provision the same way as being limited to federal?
1: Well, because, Your Honor, Congress doesn't use the word federal here, and if we were to interpret it as- We didn't it use the federal what we
0: were just talking about.
1: Well, that's correct, Your Honor. However, when we look at post-conviction process in E, we have the context of A2 that talks about post-conviction proceeding under Section 2254 and 2255. I don't
0: know why you just didn't make the observation and say, yeah, it applies to all these provisions. That that doesn't seem to me to doom your position at all. Once you have somebody appointed who helps you on the federal habeas, presumably they do a lot of work, they get up to speed on everything, they they ought to uh, represent you through the next stage of available proceedings.
1: Okay, Well, Your Honor, and that's true. The interpretation of this first clause of subsection E doesn't impact the the interpretation of the second clause that that says specifically counsel shall represent the defendant in those clemency proceedings that are available to him.
0: Well, you see why, I mean, if you say, well, the first part is implicitly only federal, that makes it very hard for you to argue that the second part is not also implicitly only federal.
1: Um, Respectfully, Your Honor, I would disagree, Um, and and that's because the words are different, um, used by Congress. Congress is very explicit in stating um, other clemency as may be available to the defendant. There's no way that that can be interpreted as federal clemency. There is no other federal clemency. I just want to make clear
5: what your position is. Um, Federal determination on habeas corpus that that there are unexhausted claims, ordered return to the State Court. Is the appointed counsel required under the statute to represent the defendant in the State Court um, further post-conviction proceedings?
1: No, and for two reasons. Do you have
5: to take that position? But the, but that your is, Honor, that, I not have but, to. But that is your position.
1: Your Honor, that is my position. Um, however, of course, again, the, the interpretation of this first part of the statute um, is separate from an interpretation of the clemency clause. But for two reasons, the answer would be no to that question. Um, because the statute number 1E does not specifically set that out as a subsequent stage of judicial proceedings. Okay? What it does instead is it, sa- is it states appropriate motions or procedures. So it would be discretionary on a case-by-case basis. The district judge could determine whether he believed it was appropriate, non-abusive, to return to state court to exhaust a claim.
2: Well, but, but you know, it, it, it mentions trial proceedings, trial center, motion to renew trial appeals, a- application for research. And then in, in the next clause, it just says, and all available post-conviction process now you you would acknowledge that that uh, going back to exhaust claims that hadn't been exhausted before the state courts would be post conviction process or not
1: not with respect to subsection e and ordinarily an exhaustion proceeding is not a subsequent stage ordinarily and that's what this this statute contemplates is the ordinary well,
2: sub, sub, substance of stage does not apply to this clause I'm reading the clause and all available Post-conviction process?
1: Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Um, the very beginning of E indicates each attorney so appointed shall represent the defendant throughout every subsequent subsequent stage of available judicial proceedings, including, and then it recites all of those stages. Right. right.
6: If it did not have the including phrase, it just stopped there. Would it then include Proceedings necessary to exhaust the state remedies. I am a little unclear why you think it does not include necessary proceedings necessary to exhaust state remedies.
1: I'm sorry, Your Honor, if I wasn't clear. It may include. It does not require. It may include going back to state court so why doesn't the word "shall"
6: require it?
1: Because. Your Honor, when we're talking about an exhaustion proceeding or returning to State court, it can only fit under this part of E that says that it would be an appropriate motion or procedure. That's the only thing that you could define a State proceeding under in this this statute. If,
0: If you step back and look at the structure, it seems to me unusual that your interpretation would be correct. It seems to me that it would be more likely that Congress wanted this Council to continue on in State proceedings, trials, the clemency thing seems a little bit more removed. Uh, it's a different, different argument, you know, we're guilty but show us mercy, than what may well be the same sort of argument on a subsequent state proceeding as was raised in the Federal habeas. I mean, if, if, if I were writing this, I would want them to continue in the subsequent state proceedings before I'd want them to continue, in, before I'd want to have them represent the defendant in clemency.
1: And I understand that, Your Honor, but I think also if we look at the representation as it does occur um, in the real world, we have the AEDPA, we have this Court's decisions that, that structure the, the, the capital litigation so that state court exhaustion normally comes before the federal habeas process. But again, there are these two separate clauses. The first goes to judicial proceedings. The second clause goes to um, to non judicial proceedings, um, in- including competency. This court in Ford versus Wayne Wright indicated that we need not have a judicial proceeding, a judicial determination of competency. So Congress has separated out competency and separated out clemency, knowing that, that those are stages of the capital case that come at the very end of the federal habeas, that the federal habeas counsel would be in the best position to represent that defendant. So let's that go p- back
4: to the earlier question. So, what else? fits under all available post-conviction process other than competency and clemency. What else?
1: Uh, Your Honor, competency and clemency are in their own shall clause, mandatory clause in and of themselves. They're not included in the the post-conviction right. process.
4: So, but what, else, what would be Post, included?
1: The post-conviction process would refer to anything in the 2254, the 2255. Um, for example, it, it could be the discovery motions. It could be, um, it could be motions in aid of an evidentiary hearing. It could be um, motions in aid of an appeal. Um, so it's, that, that's a descriptor.
3: But only things in federal court.
1: Your Honor, that is my reading of, this, of all available post-conviction process, as referring to the 2254,
6: 2255. Does that seem reasonable that Congress would have intended? to get a real complicated case with five or six issues in it, and they find out one issue is not exhausted. The capital case has been around for two or three years. Did Congress think, well, you got to go on your own when you go back to the state court now and exhaust that one claim?
1: No, Your Honor. I don't think Congress contemplated that. And that's why I think they included this language, appropriate motions and procedures, to encompass a return to state court. And well, where, where is
6: that language again, appropriate motions and procedures?
1: It's um, four lines up from the bottom, five lines up from the, the, the bottom, the end of that line, appropriate oh, But that's in
6: the next next clause. Yeah.
1: That's in the first subsequent But why does that,
6: why does that limit the interpretation of, of the words uh, subsequent stage? Um, throughout every subsequent stage of available judicial proceedings, and isn't a state collateral proceeding, which is necessary to exhaust a remedy, fall right within that language,
1: Your Honor? It may. What? It, it, it may. However, in my, our, my reading of the statute, when we look at a subsequent stage exhaustion, ordinarily comes before federal habeas. It would be the, uh, you know, a. a an unordinary situation where you would have to go back and exhaust but I believe that the statute contemplates that with appropriate motions and procedures. But, of course, Congress could have contemplated that the Federal lawyer continue to represent the defendant in exhaustion proceedings. Um, back when the statute was, was, was created, um, Congress was looking at the states and looking at the fact that um, states were not providing counsel for um, capital defendants um, in these cases. But I thought it and was Congress- your position
3: that it didn't apply in that situation.
1: I'm sorry, Your Honor. I
3: thought it was your position that it did not apply in that situation.
1: That it wasn't mandatory. It doesn't require. So you what think it's, it's discretionary? Yes.
3: District court can, dis- as a matter of discretion, can order. The, the counsel who's appointed to represent the, the petitioner in the habeas to go back and handle the exhaustion of a claim in state court.
1: Absolutely, Your Honor. Just like this court in Rhines versus Weber said, it's discretionary as to whether this, as to whether the federal judge is going to determine that we're going to hold this case in abeyance. We're going to stay this case while we, while counsel goes back to exhaust some claims.
2: Mr. Shavish, what, what do you do about A-1? <clears throat> that also- does not is not limited by its terms correct to federal prisoners
1: would
2: would you argue that uh, uh, it says in every criminal action which a defendant is charged with a crime which may be punishable by death
1: it does your honor
2: a defendant who is it becomes financial so even in the original state trial he's entitled to a federal defender is that right
1: uh, no, Your Honor. For Why not?
2: Co- it does It isn't limited to federal trials.
1: Well, Your Honor, in this case, in A1, um, we would see we would because A1 sets out the factors that trigger the appointment of counsel. We have to have a defendant who's charged with a capital crime, who's indigent, and who otherwise doesn't have a lawyer. Right.
2: It says in he state- shall be entitled to the appointment of one or more attorneys.
1: That's correct. But, Your Honor, for a state capital trial, for a state capital direct appeal. Um, the States do provide counsel, and Congress would know that the States have to provide counsel under So
2: what? I mean, it, it still is, un, is unqualified. and no. and 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 part of your argument, it's not your only argument, but a large part of your argument is, since it is unqualified in, in E, the last clause, uh, it has to include State. Well, you could say the same about A1.
1: Your Honor, certainly the last Clause of B is, is unqualified and unambiguous. However, A, one, there is a qualifier in that it says um, unable to obtain adequate representation. Oh, but, if, but, can, but, if the State provides representation, then you don't have a federally appointed counsel.
2: Oh, so if the State doesn't provide counsel, the Federal Government will provide it, and the States can, uh, can recede from their obligation to provide counsel.
1: Right? Your Honor, I think this court would have problems Indian if this. Why? State so long
2: happen. as he has counsel, we don't care who pays for it.
0: But, but it says adequate representation, and it, then later on it says the lawyers we appoint here have have to have five years experience, three years experience in felony trials. I think that's a lot better than most of the attorneys who are going to be appointed, appointed under the state system. So I would say, look, this statute itself recognizes that this person you've appointed under the state system is not adequate. They say you've got to have five years, three years, so I want one of those.
1: Well, Your Honor, again, the answer to that question under A-1 is that you would not get federally appointed counsel when you have counsel available to you otherwise. And, and that simply is the fact that the, the states do provide for counsel. What, what about expert
2: services? I think most states don't provide for that. Well, Your Honor, The Federal Government will provide expert uh, 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 compensation for the use of experts when the states won't?
1: That it, that under A one. That is part of A one and it's part of A two. However, you still have to have um, you still have to have those those three circumstances present. Sure. And I believe that, that, that it still would not um, the states if they provide any sort of resources at all. And if, if they provide a lawyer, then certainly the trigger for appointment isn't isn't available under A one.
2: It, it seems it seems to me, Counsel, that the, the mere fact that it doesn't mention Federal explicitly is is not a very strong argument, unless you're going to take the position that even a one applies to federal and state. And and really, what you're the only strong string to your bow is uh, that it says executive or other clemency. And and there there seems to be no federal clemency except executive clemency. I guess I guess. Can, can Congress uh, declare something that has been a crime no longer a crime and set the guy loose? I don't know. Is that clemency?
1: Your Honor, it's the Constitution that determines the, the federal authority for clemency, so Congress cannot affect that. The, the only type of well, clemency It says, is the, it it says if the
2: President can't, doesn't say Congress can't. Yeah, does it
0: say Congress can't?
1: No, Your Honor, it does not say I that. Think
0: so. You put a lot of weight on it. I mean, the, the problem arises because Congress did not specify whether it was limited to federal or state and yet you're saying they were what they clearly meant to do when they said executive or other clemency was to signal implicitly that it must cover state because there's no other kind of clemency. It's, it's kind of a real roundabout way to make that point, isn't it?
1: Well, Your Honor, if—
0: Somebody's not going to sit there and say, oh, we put other in because we know that in the federal system it's only executive, but in the state system there might be others.
1: Your Honor, th- That guy
0: wouldn't suddenly say, well, maybe we should say this is meant to cover the state system.
1: Your Honor, these are the words that Congress used. They know that the, that the states provide for forms of clemency other than executive clemency. We know that, co- that Congress specifically stated they wanted the defendant to be represented in that clemency proceeding that's available to him. And in, in, in these cases, like in this 22- And before, we know
2: that they read this text carefully before they voted for it,
1: right? Yes, Your Honor.
2: We don't know any of that.
1: No, Your Honor. These are all
2: assumptions, that's all. The, uh, the language of here. the
1: statute is the best intent of Congress. Yes, Your Honor. Um, if I have any time remaining, I'd like to reserve it for rebuttal.
0: Thank you, counsel. Mr. J.
7: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, Section 3599 authorizes federally funded representation only in the three categories of proceedings specified in subsection E. At least three distinct aspects of the statute's text and structure show that the only proceedings included are Federal proceedings before a Federal officer. First, as Justice Scalia pointed out uh, during the previous argument, the word Federal does not appear anywhere in the statute, including in A-1. Several other terms in the statute, including the phrase every criminal proceeding, plainly refer to Federal proceedings and Federal proceedings only. Congress plainly saw no need to include the modifier Federal to make that limitation manifest. Second, the statute requires that appointed attorneys have Federal qualifications based on experience practicing in Federal court, and it requires that Federal judges exercise significant oversight of the attorney's representation. Both these Federal requirements for qualifications and Federal requirements for oversight make sense only if the proceedings that the the qualifications and oversight pertain to are Federal ones. Third, uh, if petitioner were right that
6: I just make sure I understand your position. Does A2 authorize uh, a federal judge to appoint counsel for a a person on death row under a state death conviction under 2254
7: or 2255? For that that person's federal habeas petition, it requires the appointment of uh, of a federal habeas attorney qualified to practice in federal court.
6: So he he is entitled to a lawyer in in the federal collateral review of a state death penalty case,
7: in the federal review, that's correct. And
6: yes. what in the statute limits the scope of that review?
7: Well, subsection e limits the scope of that review, Justice Stevens. It specifies the types of proceedings that the attorney is and is permitted to permitted any you agree? E
6: case. applies to state prisoners.
7: We, we agree that e sets out the scope of services to be provided by the appointed attorney uh, during the 2020 20 proceeding.
6: The, for a state prisoner in a federal collateral proceeding.
7: We agree uh, we agree with that your honor because we think that the term proceedings And, and what
6: then in that proceeding does the word clemency refer to? Is it clemency by the President of the United States?
7: Uh, we think, Your Honor, that a uh, habeas petitioner who's coming to federal court under Section 2254 uh, has available to him no proceedings for clemency because the term "proceedings." Even though
6: the statute says so in so many words.
7: Well, it's uh, — it, uh, the menu of services, if you will, set out in subsection E applies both to uh, lawyers who are appointed under A1 — Uh, who are uh, doing uh, work in federal court for federal uh, defendants facing a federal capital charge and also for attorneys appointed under A-2 who are representing uh, habeas petitioners under Section 2254. Uh, Because the term proceedings, it's our position, each time it appears in in subsection E refers to federal proceedings before a federal officer, a 2254 petitioner has available to him no uh, proceedings for executive or other clemency. Now, uh, that person can obtain... Uh, the services that are av- that are available to him under subsection e, which includes uh, uh, representation throughout well, the point, well, supposing
6: 20- on Robert the eve of execution, he wanted to apply for a stay of execution, he'd be, he'd be entitled to representation before a federal judge, right?
7: That's correct, your honor.
6: But what if the federal judge says you have to? Un- under our practice, you can't get a federal stay without first exhausting your attempt to get a state stay. Could he represent the defendant applying for st- us uh, in the State Court for the stay of execution in that situation?
7: Subsection E would not authorize that, Your Honor.
6: So he'd have to get a separate counsel to, to uh, go to the State Court because even though the Federal uh, judge required him as a normal matter of practice to exhaust the State remedy on the very limited situation of it a stay on the eve of execution?
7: Well, Your Honor, uh, there, state courts also appoint counsel. Well, and I understand there's not, there's, that. But, but he would have no right to have his
6: point. Federal lawyer get paid for doing that work.
7: No, would not get paid by the Federal Government for litigating a matter in state court that may have no a no connection to Federal that, law.
6: Just for the, uh, this, for the stay application on the eve of execution.
7: Well, Your Honor, I, I, it would not be a federal judicial proceeding, and therefore it would not be covered well, by subsection. I but it 8. comes in
6: with the, the general language of other appropriate motions and procedures, and so forth. We said that's got to be tailored back to mean other appropriate motions and procedures in a federal tribunal.
7: Well, uh, we, we think that the federal limitation I think that's applies throughout. clear subsection from the text of the statute. statute i I'm sorry? you just, think uh, that's
6: perfectly clear from the text of the statute?
7: Well, Your Honor, I think that the Federal limitation is apparent from an, a number of aspects of the statute, uh, including the fact that Congress didn't use the Federal modifier anywhere else in and the statute. And it could have
6: used the Federal modifier very easily just by inserting the word Federal in appropriate places.
7: Well, if it had inserted the word Federal in some places and left it out in others, that might be probative intent or probative evidence that Congress intended the the other instances to be federal and state as well, but we don't have that here. We have uh, we have terms that are clearly indicated to be federal only in nature, such as every criminal proceeding in A1.
0: You don't doubt, in this scenario, Justice Stevens hypothesized that the federal defender would in fact represent the person before the state uh, uh, court. You're in an emergency stay situation. That he's he's allowed to go to federal court. He does so. The federal judge says you got to go back to State Court. There's 12 hours left. He's not going to say, you know, get another lawyer. He's going to represent the person before the State Court. And I gather he can do that. He's uh, just not going to get paid for that.
7: I, the, 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 subsection E doesn't bar the lawyer from doing that. And two points on that. There might be other sources of funding available and, indeed, the, uh, the same lawyer who need not be a Federal defender. It may be a panel attorney appointed uh, who's in private practice appointed from the Uh, district court's panel of available attorneys who meet the federal qualifications. So he presumably is spending a
0: huge amount of time and resources on this, in the nature of these proceedings, and you want to go back and say, all right, on this day you spent six hours redoing your papers that were filed before the federal judge to file them before the state judge, and you don't get paid the whatever, how much, what do uh, CJA attorneys get paid these days?
7: In capital cases for fiscal year 2008, it's $170 an hour.
0: So he goes back and says, look, you don't get that. You know, you get the fifteen thousand dollars you spent in the last ten days on this, but you don't get the eight hundred and ten dollars. Does it seem reasonable to impose that burden on the public defender?
7: Well, your since honor, since you know, as
0: a practical matter, because of professional responsibility, that person is going to represent the defendant in the state court proceedings.
7: Uh, well, your yeah. honor, the limitations in subsection e are uh, are there for a reason, and it's uh, precisely because uh, the state uh, the state post conviction process that would become available under petitioner's reading of the statute uh, is certainly not limited to a few hours spent on the eve of execution in State Court. Uh, you know, potentially could include returning to State Court for any form of post-conviction process at any time after the Federal habeas application is filed,
8: whether would we have to reach to- that question here. I mean, I don't understand three things that you said. You said it, it says Federal. I don't see any place it says Federal. Doesn't use that word. And you see, it doesn't say federal and state. In my copy, it does say federal and state. It talks about 2254 and 2255. So if I just read this in English, it says that once you appoint the person, and it's either state or federal, it's 2254, 2255, that person shall also represent the defendant in such company proceedings and proceedings for executive or other clemency as may be available to the defendant. QED, end of the case. All right, now, why isn't it?
7: Uh, I think it isn't, Justice Breyer, because 2254 uh, is not a reference to proceedings in state court. A 2254 proceeding is in federal court. It involves federal constitutional issues in uh, a federal constitutional challenge to the legitimacy of the — right. uh, th- That's right.
8: That's right. they're referring to people who are under state death penalty or federal death penalty. And what it says is that they shall get a person to represent them in these later habeas proceedings. And then it adds — that that person, and I have no point quoting it again, you heard what I just said, it adds that that person will represent them in clemency proceedings. Now, is there any reason for thinking that Congress, and contrary to some things mentioned, I believe that probably Congressman Conyers did read what he wrote. He certainly referred to it enough in speeches, and those speeches make very clear to me that that's what he had in mind, what it says, other people can read it differently. But, but I, I mean, I've read it. I read the language. What's the answer?
2: I this was a federal law. Is this a Conyers law? Is that what it is
8: here? He happened to be the person who wrote it, and it's referred to in the Solicitor General's brief. And on page 21, I took what you said. I went back and looked it up, just as you might have suggested I would by putting in the relevant citations. Okay? So having looked it up, as implicitly you suggested, I think Conyers knew what he said. I think he did mean those words to say what it says. But you can convince me to the contrary. That's why I raise it.
2: Well, I... Did his colleagues know what he said? Yes, they did. I'm
0: sorry, counsel, you would uh, direct our questions to counsel. M- my
8: experience in Congress is that the members of Congress do know the kinds of things that they're voting on. Maybe others have different experience.
7: Well, Your Honor, let me answer your, uh, point about Congressman Conyers, uh, first, because I think that the, uh, suggestion in the petitioner's brief is that Congressman Conyers, uh, was, uh, had misinterpreted the text of his own amendment. And as we've, as we've shown, the text of the amendment proposed by Congressman Conyers in the House and the text of the amendment proposed by Senator Levin in the Senate using the same, uh, using virtually the, exact, the identical language, each of them provided no funding
8: for, uh, I think to- you're wrong about that. The reason I think you're wrong about that is that that language to which you refer is language that Congressman Conyers himself introduced in response to a bill by Representative Geekes. And in Representative Geekes' bill, he referred just like this one to both state defendants and to the federal defendants. And the purpose of Conyers' amendment, which was to substitute for the Geekes' amendment, was to extend, not to limit, what Geekes has done. And he introduced lots of information, all of which referred almost uniquely to state defendants. That's then picked up in the Senate, and the Senate, which is Levin, is trying to do precisely what Conyers was trying to do in the House, which we know from the fact that he said it. Now, I can't find anything in that legislative history that supports the statement that you made on page 21, that this initially was meant to refer only to people under Federal sentence of death?
7: Well, Your Honor, the text of Congressman Conyers' amendment uh, uh, wiped out the Geekus Amendment. uh, It it replaced — or subsections Q1 through Q4 of the Geekus Amendment. Uh, Subsection Q4 is what you're referring to — referring to 2254 petitioners. Congressman Conyers replaced that with his — with a lengthy Uh, uh, piece of legislation that is the predecessor of what appears in the statute today. And it made no provision whatsoever for 2254 petitioners, even those appearing in federal court. Now, your previous question to me, which I didn't get, uh, uh, which I'd like to come back to, uh, is about uh, the 2254 representation. When a state prisoner comes to federal court, uh, raising a constitutional challenge to his, convic- to his conviction in a 2254 proceeding. There, there's a direct federal interest. You know, federal rights are at stake, and it makes sense that Congress was providing counsel for the vindication of those federal rights. That is not so with the uh, uh, clemency proceedings before a state governor, which are a matter of grace. They don't turn on federal issues, and they don't deal with an inmate under a federal sentence of death.
0: In- what do you do with other? Uh, we- there, there is no other clemency for. Federal defendants, right? It's just executive clemency.
7: We think, Your Honor, that uh, the purpose of that phrase, which was added, as I I tried to uh, explain uh, in my previous answer, was added at a time when there was no no funding available for a 2254 petitioner. We think the purpose of that language is to uh, be as capacious as possible when a Federal defendant seeks clemency and that proceeding, recognizing that the proceedings for clemency uh, in which counsel might be helpful, uh, might include proceedings that don't take place before the chief executive himself. And there are a couple examples. Uh, throughout history, the Presidents have enlisted the assistance of various people, including uh, individuals who don't work for the executive branch.
9: Well, I, I understand that, but it's still executive clemency. Uh, we agree. The, when, when, the, when the clemency decision is made, it's not being made by these other people who are helping out the President. It's, it's being made the, by the executive.
7: We don't disagree with that at all, Justice Souter, Uh, but uh, we think that the phrase or other uh, was simply Congress's attempt to uh, make sure that proceedings before these other officers should
2: the Constitution be amended, it would cover that, right?
7: uh, should the constitution be amended to permit uh to, to permit legislative clemency i i think that the, i i think that that is right uh but at, at any rate the phrase or other uh we don't think that it's a subcelsengia or, or at least a very subtle uh way of uh, indicating state clemency because as we pointed out in our brief the existence of non-executive clemency uh in the states uh, is uh, uh, in, in every state that has the death penalty, clemency is a, matter, uh, is a decision made by the governor or his appointees or other executive officials.
6: Mr. Jay, would you comment on this general reaction I had to, when I read the statute? I had the impression that most lawyers appointed under this statute would be to represent defendants in state uh, uh, execution cases. And there are a there few cases where there are federal death penalty cases, but not very many across the whole spectrum. A- am I right about that?
7: I just, in terms of the numbers of clients, yes. yes so yes, the case is primarily
6: dealing with the representation of State defendants in capital proceedings. And the number of cases in Federal proceedings where at the last minute there's a plea for executive clemency is very rare. And you think this particular provision we're debating here was really intended just to take care of the rare case where a Federal defendant is on death row seeking executive clemency and not even to consider all the cases in which in State uh, uh before, originated in state trials where there's a lot of applications for executive clemency. You think it was intended to focus on that very narrow category?
7: Well, we think the entire statute is intended to focus on, uh, when, when federal rights and federal interests are at stake in the administration of the death penalty. And in the clemency context, because clemency does not actually, does not involve the vindication of a federal right or a, cons- a constitutional right at all, uh, the, the number of instances where the clemency process actually involves such well, a You say right, it doesn't There are occasionally
6: president. federal constitutional questions and sometimes arguments made in federal clemency proceedings, I mean, in, in state clemency proceedings and federal clemency proceedings.
7: There are sometimes such arguments made, but uh, there is no such thing as a federal constitutional right to clemency. And indeed, the governor is, or, uh, it's or arguably a
6: federal right to constitutional right to a fair proceeding in a clemency application.
7: Uh, well, there is a, uh, in a capital clemency proceeding, the Court has recognized a, lim- a limited due process right, but, but that is not the sort of right that would be vindicated in a, uh, in a habeas proceeding at all.
2: Well, Mr. Jay, I, I assume that A-1, which provides for the appointment of counsel to conduct the trial in a, in a capital case, would not have very much application either, would it?
7: Th- that's right, Your Honor. E1 applies only uh, in Federal pres- — Only in
2: Federal capital cases, of which there are very, very few.
7: That's correct, Your Honor. So many of the uh, many of the provisions in E, even on petitioners' re- uh, reading, uh, which places great reliance on the uh, subsequent stage language, uh, many of these provisions, such as pretrial proceedings, trial sentencing, uh, would apply only to the limited number of Federal uh, death penalty defendants. Is now, we the don't Government's that-
5: principal concern in this case the — a possibility, the potential, assuming the petitioner prevails, of uh, appointment of counsel in uh, state post-conviction collateral proceedings, i.e., when they are unexhausted claims. Apparently, the Sixth Circuit in in Bank addressed this, and in your brief you indicate that there's a number of additional claims. Filed. If, Is is that the principal thrust of your concern rather than clemency?
7: It is the principal thrust of our concern. I think that's fair to say, Justice Kennedy, and that's because the term proceedings, uh, which appears three times in subsection E, uh, we think that either uh, that's limited to federal proceedings each time it appears or it's not each time it appears. You think uh, there's
5: no way to interpret the statute so that uh, it could include state clemency proceedings but only federal post-conviction review proceedings in Uh, judicial before judicial
7: tribunals we don't see a way to have a federal limitation before judicial proceedings and not have it before uh well sure you could
2: you you could put all your weight on the other executive or other and you could say that's the only provision where it's apparently clear from the text that uh, that state proceedings were included assuming you are wrong that there are uh, non-executive state clemency proceedings you're sure that there aren't
7: well our position your honor is that that in every state with a death penalty the clemency decision is made either by the in most cases by the governor or by gubernatorial appointees uh, or by other executive officials and uh, the petitioner has suggested that uh, gubernatorial appointees for that purpose might be other uh, but uh, there is no, there are no we've been able to find no instances of for example legislative clemency uh, in a capital case. Uh, that's limited uh, the constitutional provisions that the Tenth Circuit relied on to assert that there is such an institution of legislative clemency. That's limited to treason against the State, uh, a non-capital felony or mostly non-capital felony that we, we can't find of treason against the State prosecution since the 1940s. Of
9: course, it would have made sense for Congress to use other — as a way of referring to the States simply because it would have been a matter of indifference to Congress whether a State process was executive. Uh, or was other in some way, uh, in effect just leaving the issue open as, as an irrelevance?
7: I think y- if your premise, Justice Souter, were, uh, is right, that, that, that Congress intended to fund, uh, uh, fund proceedings on both levels, then I, I suspect that that's right, that it would be a matter of indifference to Congress wi- uh, which form the state clemency process took. But we think that Congress uh, intended to fund only those proceedings in which there are Federal rights or Federal interests at stake. And state clemency proceedings do not meet that qualification. And, and the okay, two but that, is,
9: that still leaves you with the question that the, the the what the what the words or other can possibly refer to, given the present state of federal law, federal constitutional law, unless they refer it to state proceedings.
7: Well, we, uh, the phrase is the phrase is ambiguous. We have turned to legislative history to, uh, to partially resolve that ambiguity, because uh, as, as we've set out in our brief. And I alluded to earlier, they were added. They were added at a time when funding wasn't contemplated for 2254 proceedings at all. But even if that even if that weren't the case, uh, we th- we think that because of the impact on the federal-state balance that would that would result from funding these state uh, state proceedings, that that's not the kind of clear statement that would qualify. And so I, I mentioned before one of the two possibilities that we see. For what or other might mean, which would be. Excuse you, me, what
2: do you mean by the federal state balance? Because this is funding somebody to argue against the interest of the states, isn't it?
7: It is. Your I right. mean, assuming
2: the states convicted somebody, you are arguing against the state.
7: That's true, Your Honorable. The but federal be, government is funding that. The federal government would be funding that. Uh, 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 we see another instance in which there is a, uh, an impact on the federal state balance, which is the fact that, that if, on petitioner's reading, Uh, the attorney must return must go to state court or go into state proceedings uh, and continue the representation there they still answer to the federal judge who supervises their appointment supervises their qualifications uh, and uh, uh, determines whether and to what extent they will be paid and and of critical importance uh, the federal judge determines when the attorney will be permitted to withdraw and the federal judge may not permit such a withdrawal unless and until the federal judge can find another attorney who meets the same qualifications for, for the federal appointment so you would have on petitioner's reading, an attorney appointed by federal court uh, who would go into state judicial proceedings and would be unable to ask the state tribunal before whom he or she was appearing for permission to withdraw from the engagement. Uh, he or she would have to return to the federal court uh, for that permission. We see that as a direct uh, direct infringement on uh, the State Tribunal. May I just
6: be clear on, on one thing on your position, Mr. J? Is it your view that the Federal Judge may not allow the lawyer to do anything in, 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 in an unexhausted claim, he may, may, or, or does he have some discretion?
7: Well, I think uh, this statute, Your Honor, doesn't deal with discretion. It deals with shall, and so we don't think that it's possible. Under this statute, it is possible. Now, there is another provision in Federal Court for the appointment of counsel, the Criminal Justice Act, uh, 18 U.S.C. 3006, Capital A, and that provision, which was in existence long before this statute, used to permit uh, discretionary appointment of counsel in 2254 cases, Uh, and it uh, it does contain a provision for some ancillary representation. It is possible that an attorney – uh, uh, might be able to invoke that provision, uh, which has its own what legislation. What is the
6: government's position on that issue?
7: I don't, th- I don't think we have a, uh, have a position on that issue, uh, because It, it seems to it me that
6: issue happen. would arise more often than the issue we're fighting about in this case.
7: It, uh, it might, Your Honor, uh, because the Criminal Justice Act applies to non-capital cases as well, uh, but I have not seen it litigated, and so I don't think that we've taken a position on it. Uh, But but that is is a potential source for discretionary funding. But the suggestion that subsection E permits some exercise of discretion because of the inclusion of and other appropriate motions and procedures, I don't think that works in this case to cabin the uh, necessary implications of petitioners' reading. Because uh, the three categories of proceedings are judicial proceedings, competency proceedings, and proceedings for executive or other clemency, and each of the examples, from pretrial proceedings down through uh, applications for stays of execution and other appropriate motions and procedures fall into the category of judicial proceedings. It's our position that those are to be Federal proceedings, uh, not proceedings in State court. Uh, Anything that that is on that list from, again, from pretrial proceedings down through, at least through all available post-conviction process, that's that's not discretionary and we don't think that the uh, District Court could decide that uh, even though something were available post-conviction process, it was not to be funded because the District Court deemed it not to be appropriate. Uh, and in many of the filings that a uh, habeas counsel might wish to make in State Court if the petitioner's reading were adopted would fall into the category of available post-conviction process, a successive writ of habeas corpus or a writ of quorum nobis uh, such as the, uh, uh, the one that petitioner uh, uh, litigated in the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals while his Federal habeas proceeding was pending.
4: But all this is dependent on the defendant showing uh, that he is financially unable to obtain adequate representation. And if he is in the state court, then that's the answer to it. It's only when he isn't. And I thought that in in, um, the clemency cases particularly, there was no funds in state court.
7: There are some funds on on the state level, and I'd I'd like to come back to how Tennessee handles that uh, in a moment. But as a a general answer to your question, the statute does not make clear that if a petitioner can obtain counsel at no cost to himself, that that he's no longer eligible for Federal counsel uh, under this provision, because he, after all, would still be indigent. And uh, I think the situation that occurred here in the Tennessee courts highlights the, uh, the difficulty that would be raised by creating a — by permitting funding for State proceedings. The uh, Tennessee post-conviction defender is authorized by statute to represent uh, inmates under a sentence of death in post-conviction and clemency proceedings in State Court, and he has discretion over the clemency uh, portion. Uh, The post-conviction defender in this case declined to use his — to use his uh, resources to represent petitioner in the clemency proceedings. Uh, because he, uh, he determined that he didn't have the resources, and he was focusing on other cases. So, uh, there, at least as a matter of Tennessee law, uh, that uh, that option was available to him. But uh, it's not been suggested that he is not himself financially unable to obtain counsel. So, uh, in, each, in any instance like that. Uh, in which uh, there is, uh, there are in some circumstances state-funded counsel available, I think you would set up, you would create a powerful incentive for the state to say it wishes to go second, that uh, allow the federal, allow federal funding to come first and state funding to come second, and for the federal government to respond in uh, in like measure.
2: Uh, And that's the government's position, that under this provision, even if, even if uh, state funding, well, you say state isn't covered anyway,
7: the, 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 right. Uh, Our position, Justice Glee, is, is assuming state
2: funding is covered. Assuming representation in the state is covered, it does seem to be the case that uh, the test of whether you get a, a some some federal lawyer appointed is not whether you don't have a state lawyer, but rather whether you can pay for counsel. Right?
7: Uh, w- whether you, as a personal matter, can uh, pay. are financially unable that's strange uh, and, and the the all, the test for appointment is also based on when the defend at the time when the defendant is or becomes financially unable there's no reference in the statute to when uh, to the defendant becoming financially able again uh it, it has been interpreted uh, in some instances to permit uh revisiting that financial ability decision but in circumstances unlike uh what we're discussing here where the state provides free counsel
0: Counsel, you don't really think the fact that this provision was recodified helps your argument at all, does do you?
7: Well, it doesn't hurt, Your Honor, and we do think that it helps, uh, because uh, when, Congress- when I see
0: that argument, particularly in a gray brief, that strikes me as tantamount to a confession of
2: error.
7: Well, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not here to confess error, Your Honor. Uh, we, we do think that it, uh, that it helps our argument, because to the extent that there's any ambiguity uh, or there's any doubt left in the Court's mind, I think the fact that Congress chose to use the same words again uh, you were earlier
0: resisting the notion that the particular legislative history here showed anything uh, because uh, of how broadly it may have been familiar. But there's no evidence at all that when Congress recodified this language, it was, in fact, aware of the different Court of Appeals decisions you cite, right?
7: Other than the general presumption that this Court applies in these ratification cases, that's right, Your Honor. We can't, we can't point to uh, a particular committee report or colloquy. Uh, the... Uh, the, the term proceeding has to be given a consistent construction across Section 3599 E. Uh, clemency proceedings, judicial proceedings, and competency proceedings we, th- we submit uh, are made clear by the text and the structure of the statute uh, to refer only to federal proceedings. Uh, adopting petitioner's reading, even if, even though in this case it refers only to a clemency proceeding, uh, would uh, inevitably lead to federal funding for, a- for any proceeding on the state level that meets one of the uh, descriptions set out in subsection E. Clemency would be a particularly poor candidate for such funding because a clemency decision uh, before a State Governor, uh, which may indeed uh, be be initiated before the the inmate comes to Federal Court uh, for a habeas petition, implicates no Federal rights and implicates no Federal interests. For those reasons, we submit the judgment of the Court of Appeals should be affirmed.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jay. Ms. Chavez, you have a minute left.
1: <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. The word proceedings in subsection E is given meaning by Congress, by the words the Congress used. Um, and when it says proceedings for clemency, it means proceedings for that clemency that's available to the defendant. Subsection A2 put 2254 defendants and 2255 defendants on the same footing. And if we don't give effect to the or other language or the available language in the clemency clause, then we're rendering those words meaningless, we're, and we're saying that, conflict, that Congress somehow sub read out 2254 defendants um, from the clemency clause. Um, in addition, Your Honor, I'd just like to point out that giving a lawyer for an, ator- giving an attorney for a person on death row um, to present a case for clemency um, before the clemency decision maker is not an intrusion on the states. If it were, we would see the states lined up here in opposition to our interpretation of the case and they have not done that. In particular, in this case, the state of Tennessee does, takes no position and at least four other times this, this statute has been litigated. Other death penalty states have taken no position. So there simply is no intrusion in, in providing a personal lawyer and we have heard from 11 governors um, from representing seven other death penalty states that say it's very important for them to be fully informed when they make this life-or-death decision when they're presented with these capital clemency petitions.
0: How how often is clemency granted in Tennessee?
1: Your Honor, clemency has been granted um, one time since Furman that I am aware of, Your Honor.
0: One time in the last how many decades?
1: Uh, That would be the last 20 or 30, Your Honor. Um, We've just recently started having um, executions. Um, If I — If I may just add one other fact, Your Honor, clemency was granted four times in 2008 throughout the country.
0: Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.